sitting here, I'm getting, if you hear me coughing every once in a while, I'm uh, just finishing up two weeks of a, some type of sinus hold, and unfortunately this morning, my wife, after I'm losing it, she picked it up this morning. So I lost my cheerleader that sits in the front. She laughs at all my jokes when none of you do. So someone's going to have to take her place. Maybe you, Lisa. I don't know. You know, uh, in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes this. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped in every good work. This means, when you look at that and, and see that there, that means that every chapter, every verse, okay, has been given by the Spirit of God, okay, every part of it, to impact our lives. From the first verse in Genesis all the way to the last verse in Revelation, it's all the Word of God. Yet, certain passages, have you found, there's certain ones that kind of capture your heart. Uh, there's certain ones that people just love to hang on to. And let me just give you a few of these recognized verses. See if you know them. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. How about, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I like that one. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about, hey, for you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, that's right, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. I've experienced that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Did it surprise you? I don't know if, if you noticed as the slides were going through. I don't know if you noticed that all these passages were found in one book in the Bible. <laughs> That's right. All eight are from one chapter, all of them. The eighth chapter of Romans begins, though, with one of the greatest promises, and this is the focus of this morning. God drove this home to me. If you can grasp this, really, the depth of this, it will change your life forever, forever. It's a great promise, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. Let me read this little short story. Arthur Cohn Doyle was the ingenious creator of Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Once found, he once found great humor in doing practical jokes that he played on 12 of his best friends. These men were very virtuous, very highly respected. So for the joke, Doyle sent every one of them a telegram, which I guess is today's email. <laughs> he sent them a telegram, and this is all it said. Fly at once. 
all is discovered. Within 24 hours, the dozen, of, dozen men of noble reputation had taken a trip out of the country. <laughs> you see, no matter how noble our reputation is, we all have things for which we're ashamed. And we sure hope that no one ever finds out. What God would hope is not that we would dwell on our failures, friends, but rather that we'd learn something from them. Let me give you an example. I came across a story of a Louisiana farmer. His favorite mule, it fell in a well. After studying the situation, a farmer came to the conclusion he couldn't pull the mule out, so he might as well bury him. It would be the humane thing to do. So he got a truckload of dirt, backed it up to the well, dumped the dirt on top of the mule at the bottom of the well. But when that dirt hit that mule, it started snorting and it started tramping. And as it tramped, it began to work itself up on top of the dirt. So the farmer continued to keep pouring dirt into the well until the mule snorted and trapped his way all the way to the top. And then it just walked away, all dirty, but a wiser mule. What was intended to bury it turned out to be its salvation. You see, part of the beauty of Romans, Romans 8, comes from its position in Paul's letters as he's writing. Because you see, in the preceding chapter, Paul takes a look at his own life. He takes a look at his own shortcomings, and he writes these words. He goes, I, I, I don't understand what I'm doing, for I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, well, I agree with the law that the law is good, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but it's that sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me because that, this is my flesh, okay? For the, willing, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will set me free? from this body of death. I have to tell you, Paul ended his letter right there. I think it would have been pretty depressing, okay? Uh, but not because I was like reading that and, and I'm disappointed in Paul, but because it rings so true in the hearts of so many of us. We know deep inside that we're sinful people. We know it. The greatness of the promises of God's grace is that even when we fall again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is security in a relationship that you have with Jesus. If you are in Christ, we don't need to wonder if God's angry with us. Because why? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus... Do you realize you don't need to fear God's wrath? You know why, don't you? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know you're going, come on, Paul, you kidding? When God looks at you, 
He doesn't see a wretch. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? His son disgraced himself and his whole family in every way that was possible. And when that dirty, stinky young man finally came back home when he was within eyesight of his house, his dad was there to clean him up, and you remember, and he actually threw him a party. Paul wants to make sure that you understand that God is just as anxious to throw his arms around you. He wants to tell you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you why. This is so important to understand. Why have I repeated it like seven times already? Because if the truth be known, there is sometimes condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it never comes from God. It comes from Satan. Did you, do you know what the word Satan means in Hebrew? Yeah, it means accuser. He loves to fool us into believing that we are condemned. He wants to trap us into believing that we're so wretched that God doesn't want anything to do with us. He's, he wants us to be like Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? Well, all they wanted to do was what? They wanted to hide from God. And the truth is, we've all been there. We've all failed. A lot of us have kicked ourselves in the back end. A lot of us have, all, have felt condemned. And we've hidden ourselves at different times in our life from God and turned away, not because we don't love God. We're ashamed of what we did, how we acted, how we responded to a family member, how I didn't reach out to help someone that needed it, language that came out of my mouth that shouldn't have come out of my mouth. We have felt like a wretch, and we've listened to Satan tell us that God has condemned us for this sin. You know, a little while back, I heard a story. I'm going to read it to you about a girl who was the daughter of one of the royal families of Europe. She had a big, round nose that destroyed her beauty in the eyes of others, and especially in her own. She grew up with this terrible image of herself as an ugly person. So her family hired a plastic surgeon to change the contour of her nose. He did his work, and there came that moment when they took the bandages off and the girl could see how it turned out. When the doctor removed the bandages, he saw that the operation had been a huge success. All the ugly contours were gone. Her nose was different. When the incisions healed and the redness disappeared, he said, she's going to be beautiful. He holds the mirror up for the girl to see. But so deeply embedded was this girl's ugly image of herself that she saw herself in the mirror and she could not see that there was any change at all that had taken place. She broke into tears and she cried out, Oh, I knew it wouldn't work. I knew it. The doctor labored with this girl for six months before she finally accepted the fact that, indeed, she was different. And the moment she accepted the fact that she really was different, her whole behavior began to change. See, Paul recognizes this very important truth. 
that we act according to what we know we are. Oh, man. Look at, don't miss this. If you're new here today, I met a few new folks today, and again, welcome. I say this, don't miss this. I may say this three or four times. Don't miss this. That's in case if you fell asleep in those comfy chairs, you don't miss what I'm going to say to you now. If we are deceived, friends, in thinking that we are not what God says we are, then we're going to keep on acting that way. The way to break the power of this cruel pattern is to see yourself as God sees you. Then you begin to act that way. You know, with Tom Watson, I don't even know heard the story about Tom Watson Sr. He's a man who founded IBM. Well, you can imagine the money, the investments, the experiments that this man did with the multi-billion dollar company that he had for years. Well, the story goes that once, when a million dollars was still a million dollars, Watson had a top junior executive who spent $12 million of the company's money on a venture that failed. The executive walked into Watson's office and he handed him, he goes, I'm sure you'll want my resignation. And Watson got up out of his chair and he goes, I don't want your resignation. I just spent $12 million educating you. Get back to work. See, don't miss this. God won't accept your resignation. Oh, man, let me say that again. God will not accept your resignation. Instead, he'll accept your failures as part of the investment that he's made in yours and my spiritual growth. I think that's so powerful. I'm going to read the whole thing again. God won't accept your resignation. He'll accept your failures as part of the investment he's made in you. Friends, remember Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. Sin doesn't have power to hold you prisoner, okay? God's broken the chains. Friends, he's broken his hands, and he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to take up resonance inside of you, to help guide, direct, encourage, point you in the right direction. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, what is there, friends? There's freedom and liberty, yes. Now, Romans mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. Romans is really, Romans 8 is like the chapter of liberation. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 5, the Holy Spirit, what it does is when it, it takes a dwelling in you, it gives you a whole new mindset. Help guide you to look a different way. It says, for, for those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit well, you put your mind on the things of the Spirit. In Romans 8 9, he tells us the Holy Spirit also gives us a whole new sense of life. It permeates your whole body with the personality of Jesus Christ. It says, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Friends, I hope you're here. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. And then in Romans 8 12, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us a new obligation. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation. 
not to this thing, not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you are living in according with the flesh, you're going to die. But if the spirits you're putting on to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Can I tell you, look, day by day, we are constantly tempted to follow the flesh. Every day, every moment, probably coming here morning, or this morning, maybe you're arguing with your wife or, or something going on with one of the kids or whatever. And that's why Paul constantly encourages us, you know, putting to, putting to death the deeds of this body. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, you don't have to answer, but I'm going to ask you to answer something in just a moment. But how many of you believe the Bible is actually true? Here's something for you to remember. You know, when we always go and we'll say a prayer and everybody goes, Amen. All right? Amen after something. Do you know what the Hebrew root, you know what it means in Hebrew? That's the truth. And you're going to see what I'm going to use that for in just a minute. You know, in Romans 8, 14, the Holy Spirit gives all of us a new identity. He goes, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, you're sons and daughters. You're sons and daughters of God. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Because as the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Don't miss this. We are God's sons and daughters. He's our Abba Father. He's our, that means he's our daddy. He's as close as could possibly be. We're no longer of the world, but we have a brand new identity. Heirs of the kingdom of heaven. You ever think about it? You're heirs of the kingdom of heaven. You're all sitting here. I mean, many of you leaving stuff for your heirs behind and, you know, some of the things you work so hard for, you're leaving behind for them. Friends, you're heirs of the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about eternity, forever. Friends, the role of the Holy Spirit was to liberate us so we have a new mindset, a new sense of life, a new identity, a new obligation. I'm going to read a promise to you from God's word, and I want you to respond if you believe it. That's the truth, and if you're a really bright crowd, which you are, I think you're going to guess what I'm going to have you say. That's the truth. Here's the promise. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? You believe it. Do you understand how powerful those words are? Would you put them back up a second, Pete? Do you realize how powerful those words are? There is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize the challenge that we face is not to just say that we believe it, but it's to live like it. Oh, man, I didn't think I had so many don't miss this. But here's another one. Don't let anything. I feel like my mother pointing. Don't you let anything that you've ever done or ever will separate you from God. Oh, man, I could, can't you see your mom or somebody pointing? It's powerful. Don't let anything you have ever done or you're ever going to do, don't you ever, ever, ever let it separate you from the love of God. Don't do it. You know, a little later in Romans, Paul asks a very important question. 
that at one time I think all of us have asked ourselves, can I be separated from the love of God? Well, all you got to do, back to Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger, sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That don't leave a whole lot left. You see, none of these things can separate you from God. None of these things. But when we're foolish and we fail and our tendency is so always to turn away in shame, Friends, nothing else I could ever say could be more important, more important, and I promise I'll stop, than this. There's no condemnation for you. Those of you that are in Christ Jesus today, listening on the internet, watching this social media, watching this a year or two years from now, this morning, there is none if you are in Christ Jesus. There's never been a time that you will ever turn towards God and not find him with his arms out saying, come on, I got you. It's okay, come on. There will never be a time when you step out of your boat in faith and you start to flounder and you're going to start to sink that you call upon the name of Jesus Christ and he will reach out his hand and he will grab you and he'll get a hold of you. The accuser has no authority in your life. You have been given the power by the Holy Spirit. So let me just close with a story. It's from Lee Strobel tells this story. Yeah, I'm going to read this. He says, shortly after the Korean War, a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier, and she got pregnant. He went back to the United States. She never saw him again. She gave birth to a little girl who obviously looked different than the other Korean girls because she had light-colored hair and it was curly and da-da-da-da. Well, in that culture, children of mixed race were banished by the community. In fact, many women would kill their children because they didn't want them to face such rejection. But this woman, she didn't do that. She tried to raise her little girl the best she could until the rejection got to be too much. She did something that probably nobody in this room could ever see themselves doing. She abandoned her. She abandoned the little girl to the streets. The little girl was ruthlessly taunted by the people. They called her the ugliest word in the Korean language, alien devil. It didn't take long for this little girl to draw conclusions about herself based on the way that people treated her. For two years, she lived in the streets until finally she made her way to an orphanage. One day, word came that a couple from America was coming to adopt a little boy. All the children in the orphanage obviously got excited because at least one little boy is going to have some hope. He's probably going to have a great family. So this little girl 
spent the day cleaning up the little boys, giving them baths, combing their hair, and wondering which one's going to be adopted by this American couple. The next day, the couple came. And this is what the little girl said, okay? And it's a quote from the book. It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw this man with huge hands lift up each and every baby. He goes, I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face. And I know if they could, that couple would have taken them all home. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. He goes, and she says, well, let me tell you, I was nine years old. I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was scrawny. I had worms. There was lice in my hair. And I had boils all over me, and I had scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me, and he began rattling away something in English, and I looked up at him. That he took his huge hand, he laid it on my face, and I was sitting there going, what's he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This child's for me. Friends, finally, with all our scars, with all that is wrong with us, with all the terrible consequences our sins have laid upon us, God still wants us. The cross is the proof. Remember that Romans 8 is a love letter. The only unknown about that entire story, whether those who hear the invitation will accept it or not, is the adoption into God's family. Let me just take a moment just to have a prayer here first about if there's anyone, Lord, within earshot, anyone who's listening to this down the road that has yet to call upon you, a father who will never turn away from them, that loves them no matter what they do. Can I encourage you, all you need to do is just say to God, say, Father, for as much as I understand what that pastor was just saying, but little I know, all I know is, is that I want to be free. I need someone who will love me and care for me no matter what I've done in my past. So please, adopt me, be my Abba Father. And I ask you this. Mm -hmm.